Welcome to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for teenagers from Philadelphia who prefer shooting some b-ball inside of the school. <laughs> well, Hanukkah is upon us once again, so what revolting thing did we watch this year? Believe it or not, it's a Disney Channel original Hanukkah movie. So join us as we burn what little fuel we have left back to 2003 and witness a full court miracle. I am in denial that of all the body parts that make up this podcast, I'm probably the butt, Mike Westfall. And joining me is the sweet thing you should think about at the free throw line. It's April Riley. Hey, April. Hey. I thought you were going to say it was Jay, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) For our next guest, live from a van down by the river, he may or may not be a 2,000-year-old ghost. Please welcome J.W. Friedman. Hi, Jay. Shalom. <laughs> Thank you both for being here. So this movie came out 20 years ago now. I only found it recently. Is there any chance either of you had even heard of this before? <laughs> no. And and I really, I feel like I should be the one who has heard of it. But I haven't. Yeah, that's, it's a big nope for me, dog. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jewish guy. I can't say I was familiar with the uh, Disney Channel. <laughs> Um, uh, Hanukkah, ooh, so you know, it is what it is. No, I had stopped watching anything Disney Channel, I think, even before the 90s set in. I th- no, I think they crept in there because that Mickey Mouse Club was going on. I remember that, things like that. But like by the mid 90s, I had moved on, or maybe I stopped getting the Disney Channel, one of the two. But I found this last year sitting on Disney Plus, and it's still on there now. <laughs> and it kind of has been all year. They never took it down. So if y'all want to watch it for yourself, whenever I went to check throughout the year, it was like, hey, is this still thing on here so I can watch it later? So far, yes. Well, I mean, you know, to use a sports metaphor, I think um, in the world of Disney produced, uh, you know, Jewish entertainment, the bench is pretty thin. So uh, <laughs> this probably meets like a handful of diversity requirements just by keeping it up year long. Oh, it is like diversity. Disney. <laughs> yeah, they they had a Hanukkah tab and they had like a handful of things on there, like one episode of Elena of Avalor and one episode of Puppy Dog Pals, things like that. Well, at least we have more material for next year. Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> There's a very good episode of the Ghost and Molly McGee that I want to get back to. So we will get there. So Full Court Miracle first aired on the Disney Channel on November 21st, 2003, which seems early. But knowing how the Disney Channel works, they probably just reran it quite a bit leading up through December. Well, it, it, depending on what year it is, Hanukkah, like we have Thanksgiving sometimes like Hanukkah mm-hmm. falls. It will like Thanksgiving will fall in Hanukkah because it'll be in late November. So it's very possible that was a year that had an early Hanukkah. 
I think two years ago had an early Hanukkah and it was Thanksgiving. Yeah, we have our own calendar, Mike. That's right. <laughs> Looking it up now, it looks like Hanukkah in 2003 began December 19th. Okay. okay. So a, a, then never mind. Throw that. Just scratch that. But no, I know what you're talking about because I think next year, uh, I think next year we cross the streams and Hanukkah starts on, on Christmas. Christmas. It does. Well, I mean, every year you start seeing the menorah early and earlier. You can't even go to Home Depot without seeing right? all the Hanukkah. <laughs> oh, the Hanukkah creep. <laughs> Hanukkah candles out in July at this point. It's just. Oh, my goodness. So this is actually based on a true story. It's it's former basketball player and coach Lamont Carr, who coached a Jewish day school team in the 90s. He is not the main character of this adaptation. Probably should be, but whatever. But two notes about this version of Lamont Carr's life story. One, the real Lamont Carr coached in Boca Raton, Florida. This movie changes the setting to Philadelphia but other than a couple of establishing shots, it was not filmed in Philly. But Boca <laughs> makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, I mean, Philly's not out of place either, to be honest. Mm-mm. No, I was just there this this last weekend and you saw the people carrying their uh, their tree branches around. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just I got to get this off my chest right right up front is I'm a big dork about Jewish sports history. And Philly actually makes a lot of sense. They even mention it in the movie. They do. Yeah, the South Philly Hebrew Association basketball team in the 1930s and 40s was like a barnstorming team that were, you know, considered one of the best basketball teams in the country at that point in time. So there actually is like a legacy of Jewish basketball in Philadelphia. So, oh, yeah. And, I, and that was my very low bar for this movie to clear. I'm like, they better mention the spas. And they did. So I was stoked. Yeah, the I think it's the National Museum of Jewish History is in Philadelphia. It's in a mm-hmm. spot. The building that used to be there is one I used to work in. Uh and then after I left, they had torn down that building and put that museum up there. So, but this was actually taped in Toronto, which will become more <laughs> obvious later. Uh, when Drake shows up. <laughs> yeah. <when> Drake, <laughs> well, uh, and number two, Lamont Carr was the first black basketball player to graduate from the University of Virginia. Never mentioned in this movie. Mm-mm. But that's a very like when when did he graduate? Wasn't it the seventies? In the seventies, yeah. It's like wow. that still seems pretty uh, recent in terms of things. Like, well, it, it feels for to be the first black basketball player, you know, in nineteen seventy one. I know it's Virginia, but it, that just right. it, it, it kind of uh, reminds you of how certain places are stuck a little far behind. Yeah, yeah, no, it's bad, but. So that surprised me, but it also did not surprise me. But I don't know UVA's whole history. But this movie is less about Lamont and more about what he meant for this team. And someone decided, Jewish boys basketball team, let's make it a Hanukkah special. (laughs) Which, fine, as a Hanukkah special made for the Disney Channel, it seems like it works in that very specific sense. But I actually appreciated that it was fully Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And not just like Hanukkah occurring at Christmas, like you do half the time. Oh yeah, there's no Christmas in this. Yeah, that was that was wonderful. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah well done. Yeah, I mean, this is an incredibly Jewish movie, and <laughs> I had a lot of respect for that. I mean, the kids in school are wearing like talitot and uh, yarmulkes, and you know, like they go to Shabbos at the rabbi's house and stuff. This movie is incredibly Jewish, and I do give them props for not not half-assing it at all. This 
is more Jewish than I am. Okay? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't keep kosher or anything like that. And so I was like, this movie is more observant than I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should hear my berechus, you know, it's horrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, let's get into this. Uh, the main character of this story is Alex Schlotsky. Schlotz to his friends. You know, Julie, I think we looked pretty good that last game. Yeah, too bad the other team showed up. And he is played by Alex D. Linz. And here's where the Christmas comes in. He's best known for being in Home Alone 3. Huh. Was he the, ki- the kid who... The kid. Macaulay Culkin didn't want to come back for a third Home Alone movie, so they brought in this kid. When he was like 27. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, that, but that kid is actually Jewish in real life. Yes. Like very Jewish in real life. Mm-hmm. But he was also in a Disney movie called Max Keeble's Big Move that I've heard of, but I don't know anything about. <laughs> that is like the most Disney movie name I've heard in a while. It's pretty great. I know. It's like late 90s. I can like picture it, but... I'm sure anyone listening who's a little younger than we are and watched a lot of Disney Channel in the 90s are very familiar with the works of Alex D. Linz. <laughs> he's he's kind of dreamy. I saw his IMDb page and he's got like a tank top on and he's like a muscular little dude. He did have a glow up. Yeah, he did. Well, all right. Uh, so Alex is 14 years old in this story, and he wants nothing more in life than to play in the NBA. Unfortunately, his school basketball team is currently on a 19-game losing streak. <laughs> As pointed out by his friend Julie, I initially thought this was his sister until I realized, wait, she's never with the rest of the family. Who is this girl? <laughs> I, I don't know who she is even after watching the movie. Like, she doesn't go to school with them, right? No, I think it's an all-boys school. Okay. Yeah, so I was like, "Who? where did you come from, Julie? She's walking to school with him. Right. I, I, I don't know if she was supposed to be Hispanic in the film because she says something like adios and he says shalom. Um, I don't Ooh. know if that was an indication of, like, I guess a different kind of background. Oh, yeah, I don't know. She's wearing some sort of school uniform. She's got a tie. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if the school was separated by gender or something like that. Like, um, cause they're pretty orthodox. Uh, they all have, you know, yarmulkes and whatnot, like I mentioned earlier. And I know like a lot of orthodox synagogues, the men and the women have to sit yeah. apart. So mm-hmm. I wonder if it's something like that. Probably. Yeah. When we, um, when we go to like, we switch between our reform synagogue and Chabad, which is, um, very orthodox. And so when we go to Chabad, they have a whole divider up between the two chair sections. Oh, wow. So like men and women can't even like, look at each other from across the oh, wow. Okay. That's some hardcore patriarchy. It, it, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the school in this story is called the Philadelphia Hebrew Academy, which does not exist. Mm. Philly has one Jewish high school within the city limits. There's a bunch just outside Philly, but none actually named the Philadelphia Hebrew Academy, but whatever. Because we works. all looked that up, I think. Uh, yep. <laughs> I want to go back to one thing. I don't know if I'm just getting old, but these weren't high school kids, were they? They look like very little to me. Well, Alex is supposed to be 14, he says. Oh, wow. Okay. For freshman? Yeah, I had them pegged at like 12. The Dr. J card he mentions before, like that was a bar mitzvah present, they say. Okay, so he's got to be at least 12 years and 10 months old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I believe I believe they say he's 14 at okay. some point. Oh yeah, that's true. His mom has that whole monologue about how his bar mitzvah was a a lesson in letting go or something like that. Oh, that's right. That. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
But Alex's friend Julie, they're just friends. They don't have any kind of romantic angle going in between them. Just simply his pal, who's also a big basketball nerd, who supports her friend's terrible team. But Julie is played by Cassie Steele, who also played Manny on Degrassi The Next Generation. And she voices a couple of characters on Rick and Morty, including (laughs) Tammy, who married Bird Person and then turned out to be an agent for, I don't know, I didn't pay attention, but (laughs) she's a regular character in Rick and Morty. Uh, She's also a singer and songwriter. Put a pin in that for one minute. We're going to circle back. But for now, Alex meets up with the rest of his team. Let's meet them. We have Joker. Joker Levy, who I don't think we ever learned this character's real name. No, if you go to I like the look him up, it literally says Joker Levy. Yeah, it's Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> hey, Joker's got the answer to our basketball problems. Yeah, yeah. My dad's doing some research on cloning. We get him to clone you, you can pass it to yourself. He is played by David Sazant, who does not have a lot of credits on IMDb, but a year after this, he played a small part in Mean Girls as the captain of the other mathlete team. <laughs> Poor Joker's been pretty typecast. <laughs> hey, man. He is currently a lawyer and a psychotherapist. Good combination. I mean, with, if he is actually Jewish, a lawyer is very appropriate. <laughs> I think every character in this who's supposed to be Jewish actually is. I think, but we have Big Ben Swartz. I'm getting a new hard drive for Hanukkah. 200 gigs of memory. That's enough to download the entire Library of Congress. Played by Sean Marquette. He was best known as the voice of Mac, the main kid from the cartoon Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He's also a regular on the Goldbergs. He's Johnny Atkins, the guy who plays the saxophone and is always in a Rush t-shirt. (laughs) these are very very specific characters Uh, we have tj you got technical foul remember back it up tj come on man it's not working watch the temper tj watch the game ref you was charging or haven't you read the rule book yet that's it you're out of here gee thanks for the favor played by eric knudsen he was in saw 2 as donnie Wahlberg's son and in scott pilgrim versus the world as the lead singer of the band crashing the boys and finally, we have Stick Goldstein. Last time I tried to eat one of your mom's cookies, I chipped a tooth. I heard that, Goldstein. Played by Jace Blankfurt. This movie is his most recent credit on IMDb, but he is a songwriter in a dream pop band called Glint. What is oh. dream pop? Electronic something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's it's like the modern incarnation of, of shoegazy stuff. Um, okay. All right. Like always is considered a dream pop band. And okay, um, heard of them. Yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but it's swirly and pretty. Swirly and pretty. Okay. I like that. His band is called Glint. He's also in a duo called Psycho Candy with Cassie Steele. Oh, oh wow. We're circling back. We put a pin in it and here we are. I don't know if they met on the set of this movie, but they're still doing music together. That is actually really cool. Yeah, I don't think they even talk to each other in this movie, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure they don't. No, she talks. Does she talk to anybody other than him in this movie and his mom and his mom? I think that's it. I think those two. I wonder if, can, if she really exists. Figment <laughs> 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 of her imagination. <laughs> she's, she's the imaginary friend in this. She's the the, the Maccabee ghost. They're playing. <laughs> there it is. That would have been a better movie, but <laughs> but we've got more people to introduce. We're in school now. Alex is dribbling the ball in the hallway, and he gets 
it immediately taken from him by the school principal, Mrs. Klein. Mr. Schlotsky. Played by Sheila McCarthy. I actually talked about her a couple of episodes ago. There was this recently found Christmas special called The Soulmates and the Gift of Light. It's this obscure thing that someone saw on a family photo and someone else found it. She voices one of the soulmates in that. She is by far my favorite character in this movie. Like, oh, yeah. She's so over the top with the physical comedy and just like chews up scenery in every shot she's in. It's pretty awesome. Oh, she's great. Boys walk to class, we see her try and fail to spin the ball on her finger, and she drops it. Oh, just give it to me. Uh, but we are now in the classroom of Rabbi Lewis, who is played by R.H. Thompson, a veteran Canadian actor. When we celebrate Hanukkah, we're really celebrating the story of Judah and the Maccabees, a story that began over 2,000 years ago during one of the Earth's darkest hours. Most of this cast is from Canada, again, filmed in Toronto. But R.H. Thompson, did either of you watch Anne with an E on Netflix? No. Mm, no. I heard of it, but I that is as far as I can. Okay, it was, it's a remake of Anne of Green Gables. He plays Mr. Cuthbert in that. Oh. He was also in a 90s adaptation or continuation of that series called Avonlea as a different character. And that's where all of his pictures on IMDb are from. <laughs> but little teaser, we're going to run into R.H. Thompson again in another upcoming episode. Put a pin in it. Well, this is a Hanukkah movie, so of course, Rabbi Lewis is teaching the Maccabean Revolt. And Alex starts daydreaming like it's a live-action episode of Doug. <laughs> a fever dream is more like it. It is. It's so weird. He imagines himself as Judah Maccabee. On a basketball court. <laughs> it's like a modern streetball court surrounded by a chain link fence, but you know it's in the past because it's dusty. <laughs> it's dusty. And, and the ball itself is like is like an old baseball that is like unraveling. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah. when you shot it in the air, it's like an old, it looked like a rock more than anything. Right. Like we were playing with back 2000 years ago. We played with a real rock. And he's got his whole team with him. He's got his whole team with him up against a Greek soldier on the other team, which reminds me, Jay, how often do you think about the Seleucid Empire? <laughs> Not very, actually. No. But on the other hand, I think about Judah the Hammer a whole bunch. Yeah, about, about once a year, right? Yeah. For about eight days. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, Alex's daydream fades into his actual game that afternoon against their rivals, the Warriors, who clobber them. Their coach doesn't even, he's not even watching the game. He's doing work. The kids are on the bench or doing their homework because Disney wanted to show us, look at this team of nerds. I don't buy it. Nobody named TJ Joker, Big Ben Schlotz, and The Stick could possibly be nerds. Those are really cool nicknames. Well, except TJ. <laughs> but when they're like, uh, Comparing PSAT scores, oh, I was yeah. like, name a more Jewish. Yeah, these kids are all geniuses. Name a more Jewish thing comparing your standardized test scores. That's sixteen hundred. One of them got a perfect score. He got a sixteen hundred in my sleep, and then they give each other five. <laughs> We see Alex trying to shoot around a bunch of kids ahead taller than him, and he misses. That's going to be a plot point we forget about later. He doesn't like to pass. <laughs> but Alex goes home all dejected, and this is where we meet his dad cooking dinner in an apron that says, Kiss me, I'm kosher. 
which which is your first, you know, like introduction to they are conservative or above. Yeah, yeah. Alex's dad is played by Jason Blicker. You know, the NBA takes players from all over the world, so actually your chances are much worse. <sighs> Thanks. Now I'm really cheered up. He looks very familiar, and I looked through his filmography, and the thing I recognized him from was Superstar, the Molly Shannon movie where she's Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah, oh. like the hands are the armpits thing. Yeah. yeah, so he's like one of the members of her dance team in that movie. That's obscure. He looked really familiar to me, too, and I wonder if he just looks like somebody else, because I could have sworn I saw him in some sitcom I watched all the time when I was young or something. Yeah, he's a character actor. So he's like an episode of this, an episode of this. He was apparently on a TV show called State of Grace around this time as a regular character. Hmm. I don't know that one, but also coming home from work and also familiar looking to me is Alex's mother, Dr. Schlotsky. I know it's tough, but hey, it's not the end of the world. Mom, the Liberty Tournament is the most important event of my life. It's huge. Really? As huge as, for instance, law, medicine, education? Remember when you wanted to be a superhero? For the time you tried to make rocket fuel so you could blow yourself to the moon? What? Played by Linda Cash, I recognized her. She's in a couple of Christopher Guest movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. she, she's Larry Miller's wife in Best in Show. Yep. And she's Eugene Levy's wife in Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, no, I, I was trying to put my finger on it, but that's totally it, because I've seen all those movies a billion times. For a while, the only DVD I owned was The Mighty Wind. that's a good one to just have on just have on you well i gotta watch something but she was also in several earnest movies (laughs) like she was the love interest in earnest goes to africa which i skipped that one but yeah i think we all did because i've never even heard of that one and earnest scared stupid was like regular rotation for me no i like earnest went to africa that's like late 90s i think I haven't seen it either, but I'm sure it holds up and isn't uncomfortable at all in 2023. Sure. So Alex is complaining about his team's losing streak. Dad is sympathetic, but mom insists there are more important things than basketball. She has her own big dreams of Alex becoming a doctor like herself and will spend the rest of this movie trying to get him to do a shadow program with one of her associates. Accurate. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Yeah. You either become a uh, a lawyer or a doctor. That's the, those are, that's it. I just think of like, there used to be an old commercial for, I don't even know what, like a encyclopedias or something like woman on the street. I think it's every parent's dream maybe to have a doctor in the family. Every parent has a wish list for their child. And with the help of the new Encyclopedia Britannica, many of those wishes can come true. So Alex turns to Rabbi Lewis for advice, remembering his lesson about Judah Maccabee and determines that's what his team needs. They need to find their Judah Maccabee and hire a new coach. So that becomes his new mission. And he immediately finds a prospect in some guy he watches shooting hoops by, well, it's supposed to be the Delaware River, but they shot it in Toronto. So I think it's Lake Ontario. (laughs) Yeah, that would that would make sense. But but like you don't actually ever approach a stranger in Philadelphia either. <laughs> no. Especially yeah, no. This guy doesn't give his name at first, but it's this movie's fictional version of Lamont Carr played by Richard T. Jones. Give me the ball, kid. Tell me your name, I'll give you the ball. How about you don't give me the ball? 
not stuff you do that hoop sideways. Best known now from the cop show The Rookie with Nathan Fillion. He's Sergeant Gray in that, and he was on Judging Amy as her court officer and both of Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married movies. Yeah. Mm. But as Lamont, well, we don't know that's his name yet. Alex asks him, but he says, it's none of your business. He's trying to practice. And here comes this short white kid telling him, you've got some serious game. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy takes his ball and goes home. But as he does, Alex notices the license plate on his van. It's a specialty plate from the University of Virginia. So Alex and his pal Stick look him up on the Internet. And just like that, in about 0.2 seconds, it returns the guy he's looking for. <laughs> Mom's a doctor. They have the good connection. Well, I mean, he did get a 1540 on his PSAT, so. Also that. <laughs> they look him up on the UVA website, which, because I'm an even bigger nerd than the kids in this movie, I went onto the Wayback Machine to see if that's what the website looked like. <laughs> <laughs> It's closer than I was expecting. It's not an exact match. They had to, like, enhance some things. So the picture of Lamont Carr that they find looks really crisp for a headshot from the 70s that they scanned in 2003. I was impressed by the the 2000s Internet look of that website. I'm glad to see that you did some research into the verisimilitude of it because I I really uh, I got flashbacks to, um, you know, yeah, to going on bad websites and whatnot. (laughs) It was like almost had the animated gif of a guy shoveling that's an under construction. <laughs> but also when they're talking about Hanukkah presents that they're receiving, um, one kid is like, I'm getting a new hard drive and it's 200 gigabytes. And it's like, wow. <laughs> it's like, oh, that didn't age well. <laughs> that's on my phone now. Right. I have more than that on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, Stick, based on a few lines he's had before, seems to be the member of the group who knows his Jewish history the best. And he points out that Lamont Carr's nickname on his basketball profile is The Hammer. And you know who else was nicknamed The Hammer? Judah Maccabee. The Hammer of the Jews. And his license plate, what his license plate read was JM165. And it's like Judah Maccabee. Right, JM. And 165 was the year BCE that the Maccabees reclaimed the temple. So Alex now thinks this guy has to be the ghost of Judah Maccabee. (laughs) Come back to lead their Hebrew school basketball team to victory. Sure. So he gets the rest of the team to go check him out the next day. And Alex asks Lamont again to coach his team, help the less fortunate, he says. And Lamont is the most patient grown adult trying to practice by himself I have ever seen. I wanted to mention, you said the rest of the team, and up until this point, and actually until the very end of the movie, this entire basketball team is five kids, which seems like a real lack of depth. You know, right. what, what happens? One of them is already about to get teed out of the league, he says. So. But I feel like there were a few more, like, random people there. Yeah, like, every once in a while, you would see scenes with a few extras <laughs> that had no lines and were just there to pad out the scenery. Yeah, They're not involved with the team in any sort of decision-making capacity. Nobody asked them if they want to get some <laughs> rando. From- what do you think about this homeless coach? <laughs> no, they're the second stringers. They don't care. <laughs> Yeah, but Lamont is the most patient grown adult in this, especially after Alex reveals he stalked him on the Internet. So he tells Alex he's in Philly to try out for the 76ers. And I don't know how midseason NBA tryouts work, 
But I do not think the Sixers of 2003 were in a position to give an older former college player with a bad knee a tryout. <laughs> and, it, and like they made it sound like he had abandoned his family and just like to pursue his dream when it's like he's been gone for like a week in his van. Right. Also that. Yeah, it's not a long time, but <laughs> right now his point is Lamont is not interested until Alex says he could pay him. And this 14 year old kid whips out his Velcro wallet and takes out a crisp $20 bill. This is when I started to get a little uncomfortable, to be honest. This oh yeah, this dynamic really didn't <laughs> didn't sit comfortably with me. Right. Um, you know, fourteen year old kid, fourteen year old Jewish kid. You know, basically reinforcing a bunch of these stereotypes that people already have. And yeah, I I, I was it it made me feel a little squicky, to be yeah. honest. No, nothing about that sits well with me either. But yeah. But Lamont agrees to an hour the following afternoon, and like every kid's sports movie ever, he starts with conditioning drills. Just sprints across the court, etc. You know this team has never done real exercise in their life. I know that because neither have I, but... (laughs) You recognize the out-of-breathness. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But if you want to make a bad team better, that is step one. Sprints are it. So that's their entire first hour of practice. Take their $40 and make them do sprints for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lamont says, I'll see him tomorrow. And we follow just him back to his van where we learn that he's living in that van under an overpass. Takes out a wallet photo of his wife and son. And we, the audience, get a short glimpse of just how much he is counting on that tryout. Next afternoon, Alex has now gotten his teammates to chip in to pay Lamont, and Joker tries to prove to the others this guy is not the ghost of Judah Maccabee by asking some questions about his family. But oops, it turns out Lamont also has four brothers and a dad named Matthew. But one of the brothers is dead, so that took an awkward turn. (laughs) Spooky. And then then it was fine. No big deal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Whoop. Sorry about your dad. He's like, I have three brothers. Ah, see, it's not. But one died, so there were really four. (laughs) They literally say sorry about your brother as they're handing him cash. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then we never hear about that brother again. No, we don't. Yeah, they give him a whole story, too. They say he was a police officer who was killed in the line of duty or something. Or Lamont says that. And yeah, then then you never hear about him again. That's it. And the kids are like, okay, back to business, big guy. <laughs> yep, it's another hour of conditioning, after which Alex's friends tell them if he wants to keep doing this, he has to come up with the money on his own. So Alex resorts to selling his most prized possession, a Julius Irving basketball card, which I also looked up. It's not even his rookie card. <laughs> It's from his second year in the NBA, and even then, he played in the ABA before that. What the card we see on the screen, not particularly valuable. I found it on eBay. It's in the show notes. You want your own copy of this card. The the top one on eBay was like 30-something dollars. Yeah, maybe you can pick one up. People at home, you can pick one up yourself, flip it, and hire an unhoused gentleman to help you pursue your dreams. There it is, but only for an hour. Yeah. And you're probably doing sprints during that hour. Yeah, (laughs) it'll probably make you run. (laughs) And that's if the card's in pristine condition. But Alex, for some reason, takes it out of his holder and gets his grubby fingerprints on it. And then puts it back. Then he puts it back. Why didn't you just look at it in the holder? 
don't take it out, dude. <laughs> but here's when Alex's mom calls him downstairs to deliver the exciting news that she got him a spot in her hospital shadow program. He tries to tell her he's got practice to get ready for the tournament. His school's holding a, a tournament. I don't think we mentioned that. His school's hosting the big city tournament that year. The Liberty Tournament. The Liberty Tournament. Philly. But she doesn't understand why he's not even a bit excited or at least thankful about this opportunity she scored for him. I think this was a, like pre-student loan debt crisis. So he didn't, you know. Yeah, also that. Grasp the severity of what she was doing sure. to him. He's also 14, <laughs> so that's not in his brain yet. No, he has he wants nothing to do with being a doctor. So he somehow talks his friend Julie into doing the shadow program instead so he can continue practicing. Oh, he talks talks her into it with a classic guilt trip. Uh, this is in my notes. He he says, with all the suffering in the world, it would be wrong if you didn't take my place to, <laughs> learn to become a doctor. <laughs> and it works. Jewish guilt. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow the hospital is fine with that because we don't hear about any kind of mix up later. She just shows up and they're like, okay. Well, all right. Alex's mom eventually finds out, but later. Much later. We never meet the doctor taking on the student or even go to the hospital to meet anyone except for one scene in mom's office. So, okay. But also, I don't know how comfortable I'd be if I'm going to the doctor and he's like, oh, I have somebody shadowing me. And then he brings a freshman in. That's just out of my range of. No, thank you. Kids skids into the operating room on his BMX bike with freestyle things. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she ever mentions what sort of doctor she is. But for now, we check back in with Lamont, whose van is now broken down. He needs at least $300 to get it running again. So he tries to tell Alex he can't take any more of his money. But Alex gives him whatever he got for the Dr. J card. We don't really get a good look at how much that is, but whatever. Lamont is very appreciative of this. And Alex asks him for one more favor. He's, he asks him to ease up just a little to help his teammates actually love playing the game again. So the next practice, they move on to working on shooting. And Lamont greets the other kids with, My dogs! And fiery white boy TJ doesn't understand that's a term of endearment. Yeah, he says, first you try to kill us. Now you're calling us names. And this was one of the first points where I thought, OK, not so accurate, because um, with my experience with my friends and stuff, a 14 year old white or Jewish kid who loves basketball that and doesn't have a working knowledge of hip hop slang is an exceedingly rare thing from the city that brought you the word John. <laughs> I don't buy it. I mean, there's literally you've got Will Smith painted on walls yeah, out there. Yeah, like, no, know. they are not that sheltered. No, they're you're not. You know, these, these are not Hasidics in Brooklyn. OK, they know what's going on. Every Jewish kid I knew in or around Philadelphia understood the phrase. What up, dog? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that, you know, just to get to the lack of accuracy in this sort of social set, none of those kids. Yamaka was like Rasta colors. And I saw that about a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you wore when you were the cool, edgy Jewish kid. There you go. Like the hacky sacks back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, crocheted, but like in, you know, the, the Rasta stripes. The Jamaican flag color, like the red and yellow. Red, gold, and green, yeah. Yep. Just like Karma Chameleon. There you go. TJ's the one with the temper from before, and he's having the most trouble with shooting today. So Lamont tells him he's thinking too much. As he puts it, TJ's got to get his head out of the way of his body, 
And that works. That's all that took. The second big lesson of the day comes after he tells the team they're starting to show potential. And Joker replies, us? A bunch of Jewish kids like us have basketball potential? Don't do that. Don't put yourselves in a box ever. Look, if we're going to do this thing, you've got to start believing in yourselves. The kids have to continue figuring out ways to pay Lamont. So Alex's next plan is to have his friends get up early, sell hot coffee in front of the synagogue. But Mrs. Klein catches them and calls Alex's mom, and I guess from there the whole truth comes out. Because we cut to Alex trying to explain to Rabbi Lewis why he's been paying a stranger to coach him and his friends. And he says, aren't we supposed to invite the stranger in and love him as ourselves? And the rabbi is impressed and decides to invite Lamont and Alex's family to his house for Sabbath dinner. So that's the next scene. Lamont at Jewish dinner trying gefilte fish and horseradish for the first time in his life. And also chopped liver, which he liked it. So I know that's not accurate. Yeah, I, I love chopped liver, but gefilte fish, hell no. <laughs> I hate chopped liver. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes gefilte fish. I think that's just like, you know, you have to. It's like matzah. Yeah. I've never had gefilte fish. I feel like I remember having chopped liver and making a very approving face like Lamont's little head bob. He does. He points at it with his fork, too. That's how you know he thinks it's really good. Yeah. Yes. Yup. He like closes his eyes, bobs his head and points it with a fork. And then he asks for a glass of milk. Like, I, I get the joke. I really do. But it's not a milk kind of situation. No, <laughs> he's a grown man who's like, mm, this fish is great. He's like, I'm eating fish and chopped liver. Can I get some milk? Right. Like, no, I would never think of that anyway. I understand. Yeah. Like no meat and milk across the board. But like you needed that reminder that they're kosher. But I, that it was just a weird way to remind us all. No. Yeah. Not a thing I would want to eat after a mouthful of chopped liver. You know what this needs? Some milk to wash it down. Right. <laughs> no, thanks. Rabbi is kind enough about this. He even admits the law forbidding it called, uh, goodness, Chukum? I think he just says Halakha, which is like Jewish law. Is that what he said? Oh, okay. Okay. I, I have Chukum here. I think he does say Chukum or, or okay. Kashrut. It could be that too. There's It's yeah. it's Judaism. There's a thousand names for everything. So uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. He says there's no modern explanation. But look, we even know this makes no sense, but it's our tradition and we observe it. And Lamont is very understanding. He compares it to similar wisdom from his own mother. If you understood everything God did, you'd be God, which is cute. This is also how we know they're not reformed Jews because they. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were at our synagogue on Friday night. My husband can't like drink milk. Um, and so it was burgers and, and hot dogs. And he's going to put a piece of cheese on his burger because he thinks it's fake cheese. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, it's real. <laughs> nice try. Yeah, I grew up with a lot of Reformed Jews as friends. And yeah, their families were like, pepperoni pizza, we don't give a fuck. So yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's like... Well, the conversation quickly turns to basketball. Alex's dad and the rabbi are excited about the team's improvement. But mom quickly says, that's not the issue. I don't think we mentioned yet. She's the head of the academy board. So she has to approve Lamont's coaching of the school team. The pay, the pay for his coaching. She's the pocket strings. That's right. 
And she's very careful about her wording here because either she or Disney or whoever want to make it as clear as they can that this is not about race without actually mentioning race. So mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> she says the issue is that school activities should not be happening on the street. And Rabbi agrees and says he proposes Lamont coach the team in the gym. Says you don't have to be Jewish to coach at a Hebrew school. And here's where Alex's dad lightens the conversation. This is where they get into the NBA history, how it was originally founded as the Basketball Association of America and the South Philadelphia Hebrew All-Stars. If I can just briefly mention this, there's an incredible book called Jewball. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's a semi-fictionalized story about um, the South Philadelphia Hebrew Association basketball team. And it's really, really cool. It gets into like kind of their... Um, rubbing up against uh, the you know burgeoning American Nazi movement in the 40s, and it's a really really cool sports story. If, oh wow! If you like this movie, <laughs> you should read the book because it's better. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't like this movie, you should read this book because it's better. But <laughs> I'm gonna put that in the show notes. Thank you. So problem solved, right? No, Lamont turns down the job offer, insists he's in town, hoping to get picked up by the Sixers. Does he just like stand outside their like locker room door and just be like, hey, whatever guys, it takes? Got anything for me yet? He's got a connection, but Alex's mom has a gleeful look upon learning this. But Rabbi has a solution: they keep the job temporary, and there are no more objections. But now Alex's mom privately tells her husband her issue now is that Alex won't concentrate on school. And here's where she outright tells her husband, Alex is never going to be a professional basketball player. And, you know, and dad calmly but confidently tells her, no, I don't know. And I suspect it, but I don't know it. That line actually got a laugh out of me. Yeah. Good answer, dad. So we cut to Alex walking with Lamont into school where he says he feels like a gefilte fish out of water. Fumbles the ball only to have it roll over to Mrs. Klein, who sets him straight right out of the gate. No bouncing in the halls or you get the ball confiscated. And he very quickly replies, yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, Mrs. Klein has a, a bit of a um, what's the word I'm looking for? She commands respect. She's she very does. serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a real one. But now we've got practice not in the gym. There's an outdoor court on campus. How's this the first time we're seeing that? <laughs> oh, it's December. Tonica. Cold. Yeah. And and for a team or for a school with a horrible basketball team, they sure have invested a lot in basketball infrastructure. Yeah, um, really? Yeah. You know, they, they, they won't hire a coach, but they'll have two basketball courts. Yeah. You say it's December and it's cold. This was clearly taped in the summer, though. <laughs> <laughs> Not a coat in sight. No, in Toronto. So, you know, it's summer there. Yeah. Anyway, it's Alex's turn for some coaching now. It turns out our main character has main character syndrome. Lamont points out he's doing all the shooting and not enough passing. And Rabbi observes some of their practice. And Lamont tells the rabbi the team still has to believe in themselves. And Rabbi thinks for a moment before softly saying, Drive left. I'm sorry? The ancient Maccabees were hopelessly outnumbered. A massive enemy army against them. So they had to devise a strategy to exploit the enemy's weakness. So they retreated right into the hills of Judea and they carved tunnels into the rock, but they made all the turns to the right. So when the enemy came in after them... The enemy had to attack with their left hand, his weakness. 
leaving the homeboys to defend with their right hand. Is that accurate? Do y'all know? I mean, I, some of them had to be left-handed, right? <laughs> I'm not really left-handed. Put them in front. Put them in front. Yeah. And I think the accuracy of any of this stuff is up for debate as well. You know, there's an entire profession dedicated to, uh, you know, trying to figure out exactly what in the Torah is supposed to be, uh, you know, metaphoric and what's legit. And, and they never agree yeah. on any of it. Um, no, of course not. You have 12 different pieces of commentary on the same thing. So No, it's the same for, for everything that's thousands of years old. Yeah. So Lamont incorporates that into his coaching. He tells the team they're going to make like the Maccabees and turn their defense into offense by employing the full court press. Hey, that's almost the title of this movie. We don't get to see them actually do that right away. We cut to Lamont driving away and stick wondering out loud, if you were a ghost, where would you go at night? And because Alex has no idea what boundaries are, he decides to borrow TJ's bike and follow Lamont. He's evasive, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Looking him up online, following, following him home, home, borrowing his friend's bike. He's on a list somewhere. Do you think that I was? <laughs> As stealthy as a teenager on a bicycle in the Disney Channel movie can, which means he knows exactly when to duck into an alley so Lamont can't see him in his side mirror. It also means he is required by law to trick off at least one construction site ramp. <laughs> so he follows Lamont to his underpass and straight up tells him, you know, some of the guys on the team, not me, but they think you're the ghost of Judah Maccabee. If you were, would he tell him? Like, yeah, that's me. Right, yeah. You got uh, me. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Lamont tells him, I've never heard of a ghost with bad knees, have you? So that rules that out. Or does it? No, it does. Maybe. But. That's what he wants you to think. That's right. That's exactly what a ghost would say. If he were trying to hide the fact that he was a ghost. That's right. Tells him to stay for dinner. Ghosts don't eat. They talk basketball. Alex said he'd do anything to do what Lamont is doing, by which he means following his dreams, doing what he loves. And Lamont shows him what he really loves and takes out the pictures of his wife and son. He explains they're back in Virginia and he's made big sacrifices to chase his big dreams. And he asks Alex not to tell anyone else about his living situation, which now becomes our next big plot point, because the following morning... Mrs. Klein notes Lamont left his address blank on his paperwork. So he gives her a fake one on Jefferson Street, which I looked that up too. Jefferson Street doesn't even make it to a 7600 block in real life, let alone this universe. Miss Klein found that out too. It's a real usual suspects moment too, though, because he then it's then revealed that he was looking at a picture of Thomas Jefferson. When yeah, <laughs> yes, usual suspects. And the first one, he's like seven, six, the Philadelphia 76ers. Right. Speaking of which, Alex's dad gives him a new Dr. J card on his first night of Hanukkah. We see him and his parents light the first candle. His mom gets him an encyclopedia on CD-ROM. <laughs> In Carta. Which, by the time this aired, was already obsolete. Wikipedia launched in 2001. <laughs> really? Some staying power. Yeah, really. Wait, there's more. Full Court Miracle will be right back. 
Glenn likes gliding. See Glenn's seek stuff on hang gliding. From gliding, he swings to winged things like pigeons and planes in the terrible pterodactyl, tray aerodynamical, which sends Glenn to windmills spinning indelibly Dutch and wind blowing much into muddy monsoons and so to ineffable India and the sinewy sounds of the sitar wafting through the Himalayas, which happen to be excellent for hang gliding. Maybe. Microsoft Encarta, where do you want to go today? It's the first day of school, and I'm walking around downtown Chicago with hundreds of other students. Everyone's getting back from summer break, and you can tell that they're happy to see each other after a couple months. For me, however, it's been a little longer. Hi, I'm David, and I want to introduce you to Returning Student, a documentary podcast that I've been making about my return to a college that I left 20 years ago. I'm back in the same city, at the same school, the same student ID number. Everything else feels completely different. My fellow classmates are literally half my age. My professors work in my industry. Sometimes I wonder why I've come back at all. But then I get the opportunity to sit down with one of my professors and have a conversation with them, which uh, usually yields a little bit of wisdom. You can find the show on all major podcast providers, as well as our website, returningstudentpodcast.com. A lot has changed over the past two decades. Now back to Full Court Miracle. Well, next morning, Rabbi Lewis notices Lamont's van on campus pretty early and peeks inside. I think he's under some blankets sleeping. It was hard to tell, but it's definitely clear this dude's living out of his van. And of course, Mrs. Klein has now discovered what we already did. There is no 7600 block of Jefferson Street. So Rabbi tells Alex that Mrs. Klein intends to follow Lamont home after practice that afternoon. Alex has no right to act horrified about that. No, he doesn't. He's been followed around the whole time. Yeah, really. (laughs) This poor guy is just followed by everybody in this movie. But he also knows that Mrs. Klein is going to fire him real quickly if she finds out. But Rabbi also has to tell Alex that he got a C- on his last test, which, not great, but... We will get back to talking about that later. For now, Alex runs home to talk to his dad, who's a realtor who's been having trouble selling one particular condo. And the next thing we see is Lamont finding a note on his windshield from Alex telling him to meet him at that condo that afternoon, adding Mrs. Klein will be following you, but don't lose her. And he's included a hand-drawn map to an address that also doesn't exist in real life. (laughs) You're doing all the detective work on this. Man, well, they give like actual full addresses. 6543 Front Street. That doesn't exist. Where's Front Street? Oh, it's by the Wells Fargo Center where the Sixers play. <laughs> it's helpful. <laughs> Short commute if he gets that spot. Not a place where a condo would be, though. But in Toronto disguised as Philly, sure, it exists and it's quite nice. And sure enough, Mrs. Klein tails Lamont while trying not to be seen. He meets Alex there. Alex gives him a key. So they make sure Mrs. Klein sees him use it to open the door right before she gets splashed by a truck driving through a puddle into her open convertible. That scene um, where she's like fighting with the, I don't know what you call it, the convertible top. I almost said the the lid of her car. Um, That was one of the funniest parts in this movie, I thought, was just. That is the most Disney Channel scene in this whole thing. Well, apparently, I didn't know this, but I guess I'm a sucker for that because I was cracking up as she was like hammering on those 
old 90s car buttons trying to get the, <laughs> yeah. the convertible top to go down and just getting increasingly frustrated. It was pretty great. Yes. And and that means she conveniently missed Alex handing Lamont that key to the condo, which he immediately tells Alex he can't afford and will not take it as a charity handout. But Alex's dad is there to explain it actually helps them both out. The place has a better chance of selling if there's someone living in it. And Lamont finally agrees to finish the place up, do some painting, because he doesn't feel right just living there for free. So that takes care of that. So Lamont's moral compass is taking handouts is bad, but charging teenagers to tell them to <laughs> run around a basketball high. court. That's, that's okay. Yeah. $40 an hour. <laughs> More than I make in 2023. Unfortunately, in the rush to get over there on time, Alex left his backpack in the kitchen of his house with his C minus in big red pen sticking out of it for mom to find when she gets home. So she and Mrs. Klein go to Rabbi Lewis saying if they feel like academics are suffering, they're going to get the rest of the board of directors to intervene about what Mrs. Klein calls a silly basketball tournament. And here's when Rabbi tells her sometimes a little silliness is good for the soul. And he crumples up a piece of paper and tries to make it into a bowl of fruit across the room. He misses, but he insists that Mrs. Klein give it a shot. And she makes it and they celebrate and it's a cute, silly little scene. But that brings her out of whatever shell she's been hiding her super secret sports fandom in for a second. Ah! Mrs. Klein! Ah! Mrs. Klein! Yes! Oh, I have work to do. But that's besides the point. It's time for the team. They're called the Lions. I don't think we mentioned that, but it's the Lions' first game under Coach Lamont, which means it's time for him to give an inspiring locker room speech to his dogs. I'm asking my dogs, is this a new team? Rough. Rough. Oh, oh, stop, 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 stop. That's pathetic. Is this a team? I want a bunch of bulldogs. Tells them every dog does what's best for the team, and what's best for Alex is apparently sitting out this game because he's, quote, failing history. No, he's not. It was a C minus. Right, like C's for degrees, my friend. Like, that's not a failing. I understand the concern for slipping grades. I understand the concern in every movie about a coach on a school sports team that insists academics have to come first in order to appease that school's powers to be. But a C minus is not failing. It's not like they could have added something in that maybe a drug his overall average down, but they didn't. They focused on that C minus that he barely gets up to a B and then. All is resolved. Right. He gets to retake the test and he gets a B. And it's just like, oh, I guess everything's fine now. Celebrate. <laughs> the plotting of this movie is kind of, it's very like episodic. Like things get introduced and then they get solved and then they move on to the next thing. And there's there's this overarching story beneath it. But for the most part, they're just dealing with a series of challenges and just knocking them down one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. They are very quick challenges. Yeah. Like, they're literally housing homeless people. Yeah. For like two days. <laughs> but Alex has to watch this game from the stands with Julie, who points out the team's still playing well without him, which is supposed to be good, right? Apparently not. We find out later they still lost. Alex asks Julie in his anger why she even bothers showing up to her games if he's just going to hassle him. So she leaves. Good. Don't talk to your friends like that. 
Well, the good news for Alex is that his team is there to help him get his grades back up. Rabbi Lewis is apparently letting Alex retake this test, so the team shows up at his house to help him cram for it. First off, because it's a Hanukkah movie, that's what the test is on. But would he have already covered that by age 14? He got a 1540 on his PSATs, but he can't get anything above B on a history test. Like, this, the continuity is not there for me. On a story he's heard every year of his life? Right, like, uh-huh. even if you're not, like, a religious Jew and you're completely secular, you know what happened on Hanukkah. I know what happened on Hanukkah. <laughs> Everybody knows what happened on Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah, you got 12 presents and all of them suck. It's like a plastic harmonica and a comb, and then the last day you get something good. That's what happened. <laughs> but for the sake of this movie, I understand why they're doing it this way. And Alex's friends realize here he's great at memorizing sports stats and he thinks better with a ball in his hand. So they put a ball in his hand and they feed him names and dates and other facts while he's dribbling. So when he actually retakes the test, he asks Rabbi if he can imagine dribbling a basketball while he takes it. And he mimes spinning it on his fingers first. I love that little touch. Did he do this during the PSATs as well, or is this a newfound problem? Uh, no, I think it's a newfound solution. <laughs> but this is the first time I noticed, hey, Alex is a lefty. He's writing his answers with his left hand while he's dribbling the invisible ball with his right. Alex is a, uh, is a is an undercover Greek. A strong left side. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> But while Alex is retaking his test, the rest of the team is at practice. So Lamont could teach them. Everyone on the team is an important part of the team, not just Alex. So he gets to work on each other player, except the ones that are also there who have no lines. He doesn't just get to work. Uh, he brings a boombox in on a cart <laughs> and presses play on some royalty-free, like uh, generic hip hop with the like little uh, record scratch sounds that come from a Casio keyboard. <laughs> yes. So first he teaches TJ instead of getting mad at the ref every time he gets a foul, he wants him to think of the sweetest thing. Sweetest thing, yeah. Rebecca Bloomberg. Ooh, Rebecca Bloomberg. All right. I love how every one of their last names is overtly Jewish, except for Rabbi Lewis. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's almost like Friedman or something. For the others, he says a good team is like the parts of a single body working together. So Sticks the arm, he works on his hook shot. Joker's the mouth, so he works on trash talking to rattle his opponent. And Ben, poor old Big Ben, is the butt. So he works on a little hip check. Which unfortunately Mrs. Klein happens to see while walking through the gym. Nothing becomes of that, though. It's a good practice. And afterward, we find out the results of Alex's retest. He got a B plus, so they all congratulate him. Woo! And then Lamont has to cut practice short because he's meeting a friend. And that friend happens to be actual NBA player Jerome Williams. <laughs> it's such a random cameo. When he showed up, I was like, that's Jerome Williams. And it's like Paul Korea on Mighty Ducks 3. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that random. He was on the Toronto Raptors, and that's where they're shooting. (laughs) That all makes sense now. He's even wearing his Raptors gear. Yeah. You know, Jerome Williams, not as far as I know, you know, maybe 
maybe he has some huge fans in Toronto, but I wouldn't have considered him a top marquee player uh, at any point. But the Raptors portion of his career is not the most notable. Like when I think of him, I think of the Knicks or the Bulls for sure. But yeah, yeah. I think he was traded to the Bulls about a month after this aired. Oh, okay. (laughs) But Jerome was available to give Lamont's actual call of trying out for the Sixers, a whole other team, some legitimacy. And at the next practice, Lamont informs his team the Sixers has signed him up to a 10-day contract. He did it. Of course, the boys aren't too thrilled about this news, but Lamont tells them to practice hard, play hard, study hard, take pride in who they are, and they'll be just fine. This is where, like, the 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 the, the character art, like, for these kids, they're awful little snobs. Oh, yeah. Like, he's like, I'm living in my van, and I have a job offer to feed my child a thousand miles away. Right. And you're not happy about it. <laughs> awful children. Yeah. But Mrs. Klein overhears this as well. She just kind of pauses and leaves quietly. She's impressed now. All it takes is making an NBA team. Yeah, yeah well. No big deal. Alex, however, does not leave quietly. He reminds Lamont the tournament's in two days. And Lamont reminds Alex he kept his end of the deal to coach them until he got the call. Now Lamont's family needs him to get that contract so he can pay his bills, like you said. I'm living a van. Because otherwise, after the tournament, after the tournament, his temposition is done. So this contract with the Sixers is his shot, and he has to take it. Mom's spaghetti. That's right. Well, the part of all of that that the 14-year-old boy hears and takes to heart is that after the tournament, he has no more coaching job. So Alex asks his mom to recommend that the Academy hire Lamont full-time, which of course she shuts down. And then we cut to Rabbi's history lesson now about the miracle of the oil. Now, light from the everlasting lamp would give the people comfort, but there was only enough sacred oil left a single day. Judah must have thought, what's the use, eh? Why light a lamp for a single day? When so much more is needed to give my people hope. Alex asks him, if the Maccabees lost Judah, they would have been massacred, right? If our Judah's gone, what chance did our team have? And Rabbi tells him perhaps Judah's courage and leadership isn't something they should be searching for in others, but in ourselves. And he adds, Judah told his troops is not the size of their army, but the strength of their faith. Maybe Judah Maccabee is not the person, but the friends we've made along the way. (laughs) Maybe the magical basketball Judah was inside us all along. That's right. (laughs) Guess what? It's you. We're all Judah. (laughs) We get a quick cut of a Hanukkah candle showing six candles lit now, followed by Tournament Day, which, hey, I wonder what day it was following the sixth night of Hanukkah in 2003. Oh, it's Christmas Day. <laughs> but I again, no sign of Christmas in this movie, which great. Um, and this was filmed in 2003 and aired before Hanukkah. But that shot of the website where they were looking up Lamont showed an article from May 2003. So this tournament starts on December the 25th. <laughs> and it's up to Alex to give the locker room pep talk. And while he's no Lamont, he does his best to rally his dogs. All right, remember the Maccabees. Yeah! Our defense is our offense. And our defense starts with a full court press. press. And it's montage time. 
Oh, before that, um, that's the scene where they all start barking, right? Yeah. Because that, it was very DMX-y. <laughs> yes, um, it was. As DMX-y as a 14-year-old white boy can do. Prepubescent DMX. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where <Wait>, my dog? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a 16-team tournament, and of course, Alex makes two free throws to win the semifinal game to lock in a spot in the finals against their rivals from the beginning, the Warriors. And we then cut to Alex's mom's office at the hospital. Oh, there it is. He's been waiting there for his mom and tells her they're in the finals. She wasn't at the game. She had to work. But Alex is there to, again, try to get her to understand what basketball means to him. He explains when he's got the ball in his hand, everything around him just disappears. He's in the zone. His whole life is wrapped up in a single moment in time, and that somehow gets through to her. But we cut to Lamont now, who's icing his knees, gives his wife a call, tells her he's been doing some thinking, and he's got an idea. But we don't get to hear what that idea is because we cut to a wide shot of a big thunderstorm rolling into Philly. It's the eighth night of Hanukkah now, the night of the 26th. Quick look at the almanac shows. Nope, no storm in Philly that night. Like, I understand research, but like, this is very targeted and I'm impressed. I don't know. I pause a lot and I'm like, you know, I wonder. How many tabs do you have open on your browser at any given moment? <laughs> like 73? It's a lot of tabs. <laughs> this this sort of accuracy is very important because I believe earlier I said there were 12 days of Hanukkah. So I noticed good. that and I was like, how did you get 12 gifts? It's just that internalized Christianity, you know, it's all around it's us. All- <laughs> it's okay because like earlier this year i was like i was, I was saying there were 10 days between russia and Yom kippur and i'm like no they or maybe it's 10 i still don't know <laughs> yeah, i don't know but on this timeline where lamont carr coached a jewish basketball team in philly in 2003 and not florida in the 90s there's a thunderstorm so fine and that doesn't stop this finals game, and we're back on the court for a montage set to a hip-hop version of the Dreidel song. Oh, God. <laughs> this had me laughing so hard, I was wheezing. Is it literally... Is it downloadable? I wonder. I'm sure it is, yeah. The chorus is literally like, Dreidel, Dreidel, yeah. Dreidel. I made it out of clay. I made it out of clay. <laughs> And they do a dance number. <laughs> yeah, they dance onto the court. <laughs> do this. <laughs> and right before the tip-off, we get flashes of Alex's daydream of his and Judah Maccabee leading his team on a dusty court against the Warriors before we get underway. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, Alex's mom offers to drop Julie off at the game. Oh, remember Julie actually took that shadow position? Yes, yeah, she's into it, but she asks Alex's mom, Aren't you going to watch the game? And she says, no, she has to do something first. And that something is driving over to, well, it's the Wachovia Center in 2003 to find Lamont. We don't find him at first, but hey, Jerome Williams is there. Again. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge star turn by Jerome Williams and Jerome Williams Snaggletooth, which was like the only <laughs> thing I could notice in that scene. Yeah, was, that was... <laughs> whoever was was doing the the... Uh, cinematography and that like made sure to get like a really good right under his chin so that tooth is the most prominent feature it was uh it was strange they got the spotlight right on it just ding 
like Joe Pesci in Home Alone. <laughs> but Jerome tells Alex's mom, Lamont's inside. She randomly asks, How tall are you? 6'9". What would you say to someone who was 14 years old, 5 feet tall, and wants to be in the NBA? And Jerome, who's got a heart of gold and a script with lines, replies, I'd say sign that boy up. He's a big dreamer. <laughs> but in real life, um, Lamont it was like six foot seven. But in this movie, he is clearly not six foot seven. No, no, Richard. <laughs> nope. Look put him on stilts or something if you're going to be this accurate. Yeah, do the creative <laughs> camera, like do Lord of the Rings camera work. Gandalf, you know, <laughs> just the kids are on the on their knees in every scene that they're in yeah. together. So I'm like just talking to his belly button. <laughs> they're on a Disney Channel budget, but we do eventually find Lamont, whose van has broken down again. And as we hear another rumble of thunder, Alex's mom tells him, "Try it one more time." And wouldn't you know it, that worked. I don't get it. I'm beginning to. But back to the game. It's the start of the second half now, and the Lions are down by 18, and lightning knocks out the power. And the rabbi says he's called the electric company. They won't be able to get there until morning, so their only hope is to run the backup generator and let the game continue until the fuel runs out. Mm. I wonder where this is going. <laughs> Did the power actually go out during the, the real tournament? Or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You dropped the ball, Mike. I don't know if there was a real tournament. Oh, by the way, the Sixers weren't even at home playing the Raptors. They were in L.A. They were playing the Clippers. (laughs) Got to scramble to cover that. (laughs) But the Warriors coach agrees on the grounds that whoever's ahead when the backup generator runs out of fuel and shuts off the lights again wins the tournament. So the game continues. Joker's the one who actually gets the generator running, leaving their old coach, Mr. Simowitz, to watch it outside in the rain. Power comes back on, and the scoreboard's back to where it was? I don't think so. That thing would have reset to zero. (laughs) Yeah, Blinking 12. Right, a high school scoreboard remembering the score? No way. It started exploding. Yeah, the end. (laughs) (laughs) Sparks flying. Like everywhere, like burning the building yeah. down. <laughs> now we got to pay for a new gym. Whatever. We spend the rest of the game going back and forth between the lions, slowly catching up to Mr. Simowitz, watching the generator struggle to stay alive and the fuel slowly trickle down. Eventually, he comes inside, calls timeout to tell the team they have two minutes and 45 seconds worth of fuel left in the generator. But there are more than five minutes left on the game clock, and the Lions are still down by 10. The Warriors overhear this, so when they get the ball, they call timeout to let the fuel trickle out. Dastardly. Yeah, and now everyone's just counting down the last minute of fuel while the game is on timeout. This is just the longest montage of them counting down to zero. 47 seconds. Level 46. 45. I got it's not as long as the montage of him like shooting the last shot. No, that's it's like oh, fifteen different angles. Over oh my and over god! Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the editing. Anytime there's basketball action in this last you know last game is just ridiculous. Like the camera's like slowing down and speeding up, and then they're doing like five shots of the same action, and yeah. 
the cut itself takes three minutes. I lost all concept of time. <laughs> and it's all scored by this like god awful funk rock kind of stuff that sounds like yeah. the bastard child of ZZ Top and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <Right>. it's, <laughs> it's like blues guitar, but funky. Yeah. Oh man, library. Somebody's library music company made a lot of money from Disney Channel movies, I think. They sure did. Uh, here's when the lights flicker and almost goes out. But then everything gets bright again as Lamont walks into the door and asks, What's up with my dogs? Alex tells him the other team took a timeout and ran down the clock and they beat him. And Lamont says, Lights are still on and I see five minutes still left on the clock. I see. So I guess that whole story about the Maccabees was made up then, huh? How about that part about the light in the temple that was burning for eight days? And that's enough for Alex to get the ball from the ref. As long as the lights are still on, he wants to keep playing. They're going to make that fuel last five more minutes and finish the game. Y'all now, y- you know how this one ends. <laughs> they catch up, and with seconds left on the game clock, Alex has the ball. Both his mother, who's back, and Mrs. Klein are now excitedly yelling at him to shoot. <laughs> but he pump fakes and passes it to Stick, who makes the game-winning hook shot that lasts for, like, a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just rolling around the room. Yes. <laughs> like from six different angles. Oh, yeah. And it does it. Yeah. It rolls around the <laughs> rim for a good five seconds. <laughs> and then the generator finally shuts down. And that's when the sparks fly out of the scoreboard like it's the natural. <laughs> the boys get a very large trophy for a high school basketball tournament. And Lamont thanks Alex's mom for agreeing to go to the airport while he came to bail these sorry dogs out. How sweet, but why was he going to the airport to meet his wife and son who are here? Is this like a chartered plane? Or how did they get him on the plane so quickly? I don't know. Well, he had called called them earlier. He just came up with this idea, like... While she was leaving the office. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Right. It was when the thunderstorm started. Right. So in a, in a matter of like 90 minutes, she got them on a plane and flew them up and then got them to the the, 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 the yeshiva. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a really good point. She's got doctor money. There's no concept of time in this movie. No. Shot uh-huh. Five minutes and you can get somebody a thousand miles away in 90 minutes. It's nothing. That's the miracle in this movie. Time gets all wibbly wobbly. <laughs> it wasn't actually the generator. It was the flight time. That's, yeah, yeah, there it is. There's some lost stuff going on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> that explains the sparks. The, the scene after they win the trophy to me, I, it made me realize how difficult it must be to be the parent of a, um, a teenage boy who's involved in sports because uh Schlotsky's father comes down and he's crying. You know, they show him crying. He's so happy that his son won. And they just kind of, you see it out of the background and he's walking over to congratulate his son. And all these kids are like hanging onto the trophy saying like stuff like number one, baby. And like, just like just an inch shy of grabbing their crotches. (laughs) (laughs) It's gotta be so hard to want to have this emotional moment. And I don't know. Anyway, it was just a thought. Oh, Alex's mom now agrees to recommend hiring Lamont as a full-time coach saying they have to keep this mojo thing working. I forgot about that. They had a whole conversation earlier where she said something about karma and Alex is like, no one says karma anymore, mom. They say mojo. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Yeah. 
Like I was alive in 2003, and I don't remember switching out Karma for Mojo. Never, no. I, mean, I don't. I was 20, so I don't remember a lot from that period at all. But 2003 would have been the tail end of the Austin Powers era. Talking about his Mojo. That's. I was gonna say. Yeah, there was maybe like a three month period after that first Austin Powers movie where uh, kids that age were prone to talking about Mojo. I would. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't 2003. No, no, that was the first movie was like 1997. But that was Goldmember that came out like 2002. Yeah. So, right. This is the tail end of all of that. And then we just all (laughs) forgot about it collectively. (laughs) But Alex now asks Lamont, what about the Sixers? And he explains, sometimes you have to listen to your new dreams and your bad knees and a little boy who needs his dad. And we end with the lighting of now all eight Hanukkah candles as Rabbi Lewis explains via voiceover. So each year when the days go short and night threatens to overwhelm, we light the menorahs to remember the courage of the Maccabees. But even more... To celebrate the light that miraculously burned for eight days. The light that continues to deliver us from darkness. To illuminate our dreams. To turn strangers into friends. And to shine as a beacon of hope to all the world. And that is it. We made it. Hooray! Did they hire Lamont or just the, was it like, good luck, God bless? In real life, they hired them on for a few years. Okay. That's the message I seem to be getting here is that his his new dream is that he's going to coach this team. And he flew his wife and son up there and it's just like, hey, I have a place in Philly that we're going to figure out how to afford now that I have a steady job as this team's coach. <laughs> yeah. Like they gave it to me for free, and once we stay for thirty days, we have squatters rights. <laughs> that's got to be it, because that's a that's a big apartment for a high school basketball coach with no other job. Oh yeah, right. like not even a teacher, just yeah. a coach. Any final thoughts on full court miracle? I gotta say, I really do actually appreciate how overtly Jewish it was. Like, like I know that it's not so horrent to us when you see somebody with a kippa on the entire time, but like you know that's not the norm. Mm-hmm. And so even on the basketball court, they're wearing their kippas. Yeah. So it's like, I, I appreciate they didn't add any kind of Christmas element. Mm-hmm. And that it was just like in your face Jewish. Like you could turn it on at any point and you know what you're looking at. And so you don't find that much. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like cheesy and it was predictable. Um, But I like actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I went into this really expecting it was going to be like a um, like a Die Hard is a Christmas movie situation where they're <laughs> like, oh, this is a Hanukkah movie because it takes place during Hanukkah, but it's really about basketball. And I mean, it is about basketball, but this was way more of a Jewish movie than I expected. <laughs> and that sort of representation, especially when this came out, like that was pretty rare. Like I constantly... I'm I'm a wrestling fan and yeah. I'm constantly trying to explain to my friends how important Goldberg was to me as a kid because he was a pro wrestler named Goldberg, you know, and like that was a big deal. So something like this movie kind of hits the same spots. I'm sure when this movie came out, there were at least three or four Jewish kids who love basketball and felt seen in the media for the first time ever. And I think that's great. So 
A side note, Mike, did you know he was a wrestling fan? I did, yes. Okay, and you didn't, like, mention this earlier? It never came up in the movie. <laughs> Speaking of Philadelphia, WrestleMania is in Philadelphia next year. Oh, yeah, I can't I can't go to that. I'm I'm hoping to go to Royal Rumble, which is over in Tampa, which I'm close to. So Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, WrestleMania. I didn't go this year. I went last year, but I am going next year because I have family here. Well, enjoy. The only one I've been to was Dallas. Um, okay. And it was fun, but they there was some sort of logistical nonsense, and it took yeah, like so- three hours to get to my seat, so I missed like the first half of the card. Oh goodness, it was a lot. Yeah, it was in Dallas in 2022, and I will never ever go to Dallas again. And that was a nightmare. <laughs> oh. But Stone Cold wrestled. So. There you go. Yeah, you got to see Stone Cold. Yeah, I was close enough that I could feel the Undertaker's pyro. It was a life changing. Oh experience. man! <laughs> but I'm glad I found this. I. It was clearly beloved enough to throw on Disney Plus and keep it there. When I started taking notes for this, it was around August, September. It's still on as of tonight. I mean. So I'm sure it's going to still be on there in a special Hanukkah tab by the time this airs. What I'm really impressed by is that, you know, you have your own Hanukkah miracle in terms of content. Um, like every year you're like, oh, hey, I have this new Hanukkah content. Um, <laughs> you want to come on? Because now we've done like Wienerville. Uh, we've done this. We did the nanny. And then what was the other one? The really weird Bubby, one. Hanukkah, Bubbies. Yeah. yeah oh, no. I've never seen it, but that name is freaking me out. Yeah. Oh, who was involved with that? Was it David Silverman? It was some Simpsons guy before the Simpsons. And you can kind of tell it's puppets. It's puppets. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. It's like a puppet home video. But oh, it's it's a dream. Yeah. It's on YouTube. But that sounds horrifying. And I need to watch it. Yes. Did that did Rugrats did Lamb Chop. This is our seventh Hanukkah episode. Wow. And then next year, you're going to be like, here, I have something else. And it's like. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the Hanukkah miracle. <laughs> Sorry, I knew that. The, I I have to admit, I'm fairly out of touch when it comes to, you know, family entertainment and kids entertainment to the point when you said Wienerville a second ago, I immediately started thinking, welcome to the dollhouse. Very different movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but thank you both for joining me for this very important showdown. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It was Super fun, and uh, I had a great time. Thank you. And if people want to secretly follow you home while trying and failing to hide under their dashboard, where can they find you on the internet if you wish to be found? April. Uh, well, there's my Twitter, and it's always going to be Twitter. There's no such thing as X. It will never be X. Uh, I am where number two next April, but that's a lot of wrestling content. You're either getting wrestling content or geology content. There's no like in between. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram, the fancy geologist. That's not anything. If you like rocks, then you'll like that account, but that's. <laughs> I like rocks. Past that, it's probably not very interesting. Right. And Jay. Uh, I'm pretty much nowhere. Uh, I did a. Uh... <clears throat> spent seven or eight years hosting a book podcast called I Don't Even Own a Television. It's still around if you want to go through the archive and listen to me and a friend of mine um, review really weird and bad books. Um, but nowadays, yeah, I don't I do not do Twitter or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just a boring old guy. <laughs> Thank you both so much. You can find those links in the show notes and you can find show notes along with links to wherever I'm hiding on the internet at adventcalendar.house. Thank you all for listening. Next episode is another edition of Scrooge Sunday in which we finally jump the shark 
Until then, for April and Jay, from a dusty streetball court somewhere in my daydreams, this is Mike Westfall reminding you to mind the icy patch and check your oil. Happy Hanukkah, y'all. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... What does Henry Winkler want for Christmas? He wants to be Scrooge. I do, I do, indeed I do. Happy days are here again when this old miser learns the true meaning of Christmas. And we learn why he's wearing that ridiculous mustache. You've got a couch, so sit on it and watch an American Christmas Carol. 